Okay, welcome to something nice with Dinano. That was very strange. I think that intro was playing at two times the usual speed. <laughs> but at least we don't have the technical difficulties that we had last week. Our guests are all here. Nolu Vuyokadu is here. Clement Muhirwa, his camera just went off. Lukolo September is also here. And Jamie Mighty is also here. Guys, welcome. How are you doing? We're good. 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 Hi, Dini. Hi, everyone. Good evening. We managed to get four brilliant minds, I'll call them, from our continent. And this stems from a post that I put out on the channel saying that there are a couple of topics that I would like to discuss on the channel put out these options. I think there were four of them. Some had to do with marriage and divorce and keys to successful marriage. Other one was about the topic we're talking about today. How do we take Africa forward? The other one was about great African leaders. And in mind, Ulukolo will know I, I had Utoma Sankara in mind because that's my favorite African leader. But now this is the topic we're talking about. We've got Unolu. Unolu is a I think a social entrepreneur, that's what I'll call her. She's from South Africa. Uklement Muhirwa is an innovator, also an entrepreneur. He's Rwandan from the beautiful city of Kigali, the cleanest city in Africa. Well, that's what our ex-finance minister says. We've got Ujemi Mighty, South African slash Zambian. He's a great debating guy. So I don't want to, to, to mess with his arguments. He might embarrass me here. But I've got my champ here, right next to him, who's also a debater of note. He's a sport executive guy. Guys, welcome to Something Nice. Just do a short introduction of, of who you are, what you do, what your interests are, before we get into the topic today. Who goes first? Okay, this first. <laughs> Nolu, we'll start with you. Is it me first? Yes, Nolu, please go. I'm a tech professional uh, slash uh, social entrepreneur slash founder. My passion is really in education and how to infuse that with uh, technology. Uh, that's who I am. Okay, let's go to Clement. Yeah, so I'm Clement uh, from Rwanda. I'm into fintech, uh, financial technology. Uh, I'm also the founder of um, a startup called Uplus, uh, which is also in fintech. Um, and basically, my my interest is into technology and and, and the fintech in general. Okay, Jamie. Yeah, uh, my name is Jamie Mighty. I am a political analyst. I um, studied law at WITS and uh, went to business school after. And I do writing, communication, consulting in Johannesburg. I want to say Lux is your alumni, but he'll, he'll probably say that himself. Lux? <laughs> yeah, it's amongst other places where I've studied in my life, you know, of course. <laughs> uh, the WITS business school and WITS as uh, the university. Uh, good evening, uh, Dini and uh, Sisnolu, Clement and, and Jamie and everyone else who's joining this um, this stream. 
My name is Lupolo September. Somehow people call me Lux. I don't know how that name stuck with me. Uh, currently, I live in Cairo, in, uh, in Egypt, where I work for CAF. Um, I hope you all know what CAF is. If not, Google it. Um, as the head of operations, uh, but I'm originally from South Africa, uh, in a place called Namab. So I'm a village boy, really, um, an entrepreneur because I've, I've started, successfully started and ran for a couple of years a number of companies, including an agency uh, called Niman, uh, and also um, started um, a farm a couple of years ago, a potato farm, which also now sells sheep. Um, I run an, an NPO, we don't call it a foundation, it's an NPO which focuses on the issues of education because I'm kind of tired, I'm one of those Africans who's tired of us talking and talking and talking and not doing anything. So that's kind of me in a nutshell. Oh, by the way, I'm a failed football football player and a great cyclist. <laughs> a great cyclist. <laughs> okay. Look, going with what Ulax just said, I was actually saying to Nuli before the rest of you guys joined that we have been talking. I think I've also raised this with Clement. I've also said it to you, Jamie. We've been talking. We've been having these discussions. I get tired of talking, guys. We need to move and do something about the plight of our continent, about the situation of our people, from politics to sport to whatever. I was watching the Olympics right now. I'm a keen sports fan, like Kulukolo is now. And the performance of the South African team, not great. I don't think it's the, it's the, it's the only African team that didn't do that well. I think Kenya didn't perform as well as it, as it usually performs. And we are hoping tomorrow Elliot Kupchogi wins the, the marathon. I don't know how Rwanda did. Clement doesn't seem to know. But look, even in politics, we've got issues galore. Jamie might, might talk to, to those issues. But let's, let's, let's go with, with your industries, respective industries. What are some of the problems that you're picking up from your industry in, 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 in Rwanda, Clement? Well, I wouldn't uh, be specific to Rwanda because uh, most of the issues which we are facing uh, basically in technology or, or fintech, it's across Africa. Because uh, we have, um, one, one thing that I can say is about the investment. So uh, we, don't, we don't have like a Silicon Valley in Africa, whereby if you come up with an idea, you can go and raise funding for quality develop. Or if you want to expand, you can just uh, go in and, 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 and develop. So basically, number one is the investment. And number two is about the regulators. So the regulations is not up to speed to what the new technologies are coming. So because of that lagging behind, sometimes it slows down the technology uh, industry. But I think it's uh, across Africa, not only in Rwanda. Well, we, something is coming up. Uh, a lot of changes are, are happening. But I think it's still a challenge. Can you be more specific? And guys, I'm just coordinating, right? This is not my show. You can join in if you have questions for, for each other. You're, you're yeah. allowed to. Can you be more specific maybe on challenges that you personally faced? Because Uklimen has come up with a device. Maybe he can explain what the device is. But I met him in 2018 at the ITU Telecoms in Durban. And he won an award there. Please tell us about the award and the device and maybe the challenges that you faced personally as an innovator coming up with that device. 
Well, the technology that, uh, that that was demonstrating in in Durban, the one that I made, I won the award for the best business model was about the uh, the payments for casual workers. So basically, there's a lot of issues for those employees when it comes to the a casual perspective when the people are working and the reporting is not accurate. Um, and also when it comes to the payment, there needs to be like movement for cash because most of these people, they don't have the bank accounts. So I came up with that device which can uh, use the fingerprints or the, the eye. So, uh, and also to connect it with the banks and the mobile uh, money wallet so that the payment can be seamless. So as for the challenge that I faced personally is that uh, number one is for the investment. So we do not have a lot of investors here. Well, so raising funds to expand or even to test was, was a very big issue. Um, so that's the, 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 the number one key that I can say, but also on the expansion uh, level, so expanding because uh, I, I, don't, I do not want to only use it in Rwanda. So it's uh, an issue which is happening, uh, happening across Africa. So we have a lot of countries in Africa so because of all of that they have independent uh, uh regulators so going to each and every regulator buying a license is also a very big challenge which even investors did not uh, like it because if you go approaching an investor and telling them that in order to expand you need to buy so and so so and so licenses it becomes a, a, a bit of a challenge so those are the number one uh, issues that i can say that i, I faced Thanks, Clement. Nolu, or anyone wants to chip in and comment on what Clement is saying, or maybe tell us about the challenges that you've been facing in your specific industry? You know, if I jump in, I, I want to not necessarily respond to it in that manner, um, but just to give what I think is a, a high-level observation as, as a starting point. It seems to me that there's no political will or appetite for the real work in Africa. And what I mean by this is the problems are fairly um, clear, you know, whether it's infrastructure, whether it's energy, whether it's education. It seems to me like politicians know where the dirty dishes are, but they don't want to wash the dirty dishes. What they want to do is to go to the ceremonies, to go to the events, to cut the ribbons, because there are so many plans sitting in Africa, so many documents with stuff that could have been executed 10 years ago but hasn't yet been executed. And I, I, I sometimes think about that in its exclusive bracket to say, why is it that all of these old people who are getting paid millions and millions um, to do work seldom do any work, but they are often, you know, everywhere asking for money, you know, um, you know, cutting ribbons and all of this stuff for, for ceremonial stuff and not for substantive stuff. And I think Africa is... I mean, if you think about uh, 1960, when Ghana got independence, a uh, few other countries got independence just in that early, you know, first wave of independence. And that was a long time ago. You know what I mean? I mean, even the establishment of the African Union, the fact that the African continental free trade area is kind of now in motion when it was mooted a while ago. You know, even in January, they were like, yeah, no, this year it's going to happen. But now we're in August. And I think we're beginning to see that that January promise was, um, you know, over-advertised but under-delivered, you know. 
So, I mean, I would start there by just saying it seems as if they, these politicians don't have a stomach for the hard work that is required across the continent. And I'm not sure why. Uh, you know, if, if I were to ask, why haven't you done the work? You know, why did it take you months to send people to Mozambique? Why did it, why, why have you ignored all of the issues that are happening in different countries of, of an oppressive nature? I, I don't know what the answer is, but I think fundamentally that's why we haven't seen Africa get to where it needs to get. Shooting <laughs> straight for the goalposts. And as you were talking, I knew Ulax would react to this one. And I saw that grin on his face. Lux, why do you have such a huge grin on your face on what Jamie just said? Because you know, Jamie says things I cannot say myself at the moment. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Jamie, there's something, there's something uh, you learn uh, very quickly uh, in what we do, the, the powerlessness of power. Uh, so you're saying a lot of things uh, that people who've got who are suffering from the powerlessness of power cannot say so pick up you my friend I, I think you know i mean i wanted to go last because there's a lady here so i guess we'll allow the lady to go last and save the best for last uh, the theme for today is taking africa forward uh, for, for on its own it's a suggestive theme that somehow we have regressed uh, or stagnated um, and i think therefore there is a specific reason for this thing. And so the question we need to ask is not what do we say, but what do we do? Because in theories, every day you listen. I mean, I, I used to get very irritated. I mean, I, when I was living in South Africa, I used to work for football in South Africa. And every day I would listen to radio. And people have got ideas, full of ideas. We should do this, we should do this. And I would ask myself, what are we doing? Now, a few months ago, I was listening to, 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 to Professor Mutambara from Zimbabwe. Now, you might have views about the man, and I, use, I have mine. But he made an interesting point in, in this talk he had at the UJ. He said, for Africa to progress, we must die a little. And suddenly, he made an interesting point that if you think at an individual level, if you work at a global company like myself or other people in my life who work internationally for FIFA, and you think you will be Lucolo September or, or Clement as an individual in Silicon Valley and you'll somehow be respected. You must forget it's not going to happen. It's a collective respect. Ghana and South Korea got independence same day, same year. Uh, South Korea today has got, to, to add to Jamie's point, has got uh, Hyundai and many other things. Now we have to ask ourselves, what, what, what has held Africa back? Too much thinking, too much theory. I have, a, I, have, I have somehow uh, an answer about the now. The now, the stagnation and regression of the now is obviously as a result of exclusive, exclusion of the people between the age group of 25 and 49. But, but it is also as a result of the passiveness, the passiveness of this group, because in every country, the age group that changes things is between the age of 25, maybe 30, and 49. Nobody else in South Africa or in Africa. They somehow feel they are passive. And when uh, the current so-called liberators, and I say so-called because nobody really is a liberator, when they were in our age group, they were agitating for change, be it dictatorship, be it anarchy, whatever it is. They were agitating for change. 
Now, if Clement thinks at an individual level, he's lucky he's in Rwanda. But if you think at an individual level, without the collectiveness of this age group, you will change anything. Forget it. This group just tweets, doesn't do anything. No, Luke, please come in here. And I know recently you went off social media. So on Luck's last part there, I think you, you've, you've gotten that, that awareness that maybe this social media takes away a lot of my time. Hint, hint, Jamie. So now you've decided to, to stay off social media. Why is that? And what are some of the issues you've been picking up in your industry that's been holding us back? I think in my industry, and uh, there might be a bit of bias here based on the fact that I am female. In my industry, some uh, some of the things that I have picked up in that are restrictive to taking uh, Africa forward is the gender bias, the, the gender balance, and I I speak to that uh, based on the fact that I'm mainly working on a on a very male-dominated uh, on a very male-dominated sphere, and up until we get uh, all the voices represented or all the voices head uh, into the table, we're not uh, we're not really progressing uh, as Africa, and it's one of the things I'm really passionate about uh, getting getting everyone's voices head, and it's not just about. Uh, the hashtag trends that we do on Twitter, hashtag uh, this, hashtag that. I think uh, for me personally, it's uh, it's about do, it's about having an impact in our in our various spaces, whether it's a corporate space, whether it's challenging decisions that you don't think are fair, but it's about having uh, voices within our, our little corners that we we occupy, and not necessarily making it about. Uh, trending or, or social uh, or social media components uh, for me it's about uh, making the small change that you can make if you can challenge uh, a small thing within your small uh, within your small small circles for me that does make a difference it's not about gaining crowds but it's about uh, it's about changing the, the narrative within your small sphere of influence please just elaborate on, on what but but no, isn't that really probably at the root of our problem of trying to be the so-called light in our little corners? Because it almost makes sure it ensures that it ensures that there will never be collective effort. But rather we will think we are making a difference by moving a wheelbarrow from five meter five, five, five meter a five meter radius. And uh, I get where you're coming from, Luke's, and I think uh we mainly operate or work in uh, in small fears. Therefore, we can't necessarily dispute that. And I suppose it's a stepping uh, it, it's it's a stepping stone, but does not limit uh, our narrative or our thinking to just uh, making an impact within our, our our little corners. But for me, how I view it, it's it's a starting point. We start uh, we start in our little corners. We start where we are, and uh, obviously, we create room for collaboration. We create uh, room to engage uh, to 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 engage with each other as Africans in terms of how we how we take Africa forward. Tell you us about this. Not that you started, Nolu, please, because you're not just 
all about talking. You are actually on the ground working and doing things that are very significant. Please tell us about your initiatives. So uh, in terms of how, uh, in terms of my own initiatives, uh, most of my experience is within uh, the tech space within Corporate SA. And I'm not going to go into much detail, but some of the work that I have done in that space in terms of uh, rectifying the wrong or, or the stereotypes that have been in that space is, is within my sphere of influence, being able to challenge certain things. And even though, uh, as Luke said, it, it may appear as if we're working uh, in our little corners, but when I reflect and look at the ripple, at the ripple effect, uh, it's potentially challenging the narrative, even for people who are coming before me, that they get into a more pleasant space uh, than what I have found. So uh, us working in a is, is, uh, is sort of improving or creating uh, a pleasant space for for the generations that's before us that's uh... you know i wanted to say something um b before we go too far and mm -hmm. what i wanted to say is is two things number one i do think that there's value to social media and um it can be used properly i just think sometimes it's not used in a very effective way, which is why we've become a little bit skeptic of it. But just to contextualize, I mean, the Arab Spring was was organized on social media. I mean, even uh, when they were overthrowing Omar al-Bashir, that was organized on social media in um, Sudan. So, so it still has value. It's just not used um, properly in uh, all the time. So that's the first thing. The second thing I want to say is, is almost piggybacking off what uh, Ulutolo said, is that uh, the generation uh, that he identified, whether it's 25 to 40 or however you want to contextualize it, does need to take action. But what has been happening on the continent is that we have been taking action in the form of leaderless movements. So if you look at End SARS, which was happening in Nigeria last year, or Zimbabwean Lives Matter, which was also happening last year, or you go back a few years to Fees Must Fall, all of these movements took the shape of leaderless movements where people say, no, we're tired of leadership, we're tired of politicians, the group will make all of the decisions and we'll see what happens. The problem that then um, occurred is that after the moment of attention, after the, the high, you know, the, the, the media moves on, the public consciousness moves on. And because these movements didn't have structured leadership, they didn't create institutional memory and also they didn't have people to carry the organizational values, visions, and objectives through these, you know, it's like movements go into, into peaks, peaks and valleys. So the peaks, everything is exciting, money is flowing, people are all showing up. But in the valley, that's where you need the historians of the organization, the administrators of the organization, the true believers, so to speak. But without structure, you don't have that. So. If you look at Black Lives Matter as a movement, there are several moments in the Black Lives Matter story which are in the high highlights. You know, uh, Trayvon Martin gets killed. Black Lives Matter becomes a global conversation. George Floyd gets killed. Black Lives Matter becomes a global conversation. But they're actually custodians and there is an organization called Black Lives Matter which does the day-to-day -day 
uh, work of Black Lives Matter. There have been some criticisms here and there because some of them have become overly affluent. They've been buying mansions, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but that, let's put that conversation around uh, the leaders taking money from the cookie jar aside and look at the value of structured leadership within Black Lives Matter. Because of that structured leadership, Black Lives Matter doesn't just fall away um, you know, uh, when there's no attention. Even uh, Me Too as a movement was actually led and it, it was black women who started the movement. And when celebrities jumped in and all of that, you know, it added fuel to the movement, but the movement was already existing. It was already a structured movement. So what does this have to do with our conversation thus far and this moving forward conversation? I think that we do need to have structures that are working towards uh, taking Africa forward in a coordinated manner, one that tries to encompass everyone. So I think if you think about the idea of 1.3 billion people residing in the continent now, going towards 2.5 billion, we don't have our own technological universities for the continent. We don't have a lot of things, but even that 1.3 billion, if we put our monies together, we could have the best universities on earth. We could be able to educate all of the brilliant young Africans on, 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 on the continent. I don't know if you guys saw that story, uh, which was covered by, um, I think it was CBS um, in America, where these Kenyan students were covering, uh, were, were doing assignments for American students in Ivy Leagues. And they were getting them 90s. And, you know, at some point, some of the students had to say, please, don't get me a 90. It's unbelievable for me. And this is a graduate who is writing in engineering. He's writing in medicine. He's writing in, 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 in technology. One, one person, but in his own home country, Kenya, there are no opportunities for his academic brilliance to the point where he's now doing this academic work for pennies um, for America. So basically, it becomes a, a sweatshop an academic sweatshop where Africans are producing PhDs and master's degrees and uh, graduate degrees for Americans, but without them having the recognition. Imagine a situation where we organize as Africa, uh, parallel from the politicians outside from them, but actually started creating social movements with leadership, with robust structuring. When you look at um, some of the biggest companies in the world that have been disrupting things, they, they have been taking ideas from Africa. I often refer to Lyft. Lyft was founded by somebody who came to Zimbabwe in 2006. He was spending a year after varsity there. He saw those taxis that we all use. They're called different things in different countries. He saw that, that communal traveling went back to his uh, uh, country in America and started with the Lyft Club on Facebook. They developed it further, they developed it further. By the time it was 2012, they had Lyft and it came from African inspiration. Now think about what that means. We are seeing these things in our own environment, but we are not using them in ways that are structured. It's unclear even now why the taxi industries in Africa are not digital why you know you can't actually see which taxi is coming to your community and go wait for it outside at the opportune moment we're still relying on uber we're still relying on you know uh, different companies but that's an another indicator that we're not using our communal structures with the current technology that exists for our own benefit but other people come to africa observe our communal living go and build technology based off our own lived experience and then come back and sell it to us for profit. So I think that there is something that needs to be done in terms of structured leader, leaderful movements, not leaderless, that can take Africa forward.
I think Clement might have something to, to say here, because I remember a conversation we had on the phone, Clement, you were also talking about a lot of students who are graduating yeah. and they are being poached by uh, some companies in Silicon Valley, and which yeah. alludes to what Jamie is saying. It seems to be a, a, a continental issue. Uh, so, uh, Jamie, I agree with you. So, for me, I would say that the issues, uh, I could put them into like three categories. So, number one, let's say uh, we need uh, to have a unity in Africa. We need to be united, not only having the AFCTA, the political level. We, we need to have the unity from the business point of view so that we can move something forward. Uh, the, the, the big issue that we have here in Africa is that we, we keep relying on politicians to do something, you know. So, for example, if I can say in, in the U.S., there's a New York Stock Exchange for all America. There's a Silicon Valley for all the USA, even uh, some other from the other countries. Uh, let's say in China, there's Shenzhen. If you, you have a, a, a technology uh, thing, you have to move to Shenzhen. Uh, in the U.S., there's Hollywood, which is bringing all the talents uh, for movie production. But in Africa, we don't have anything. So I think we have to to to, get, to have something uh, common for Africans, because if I have, let's say, for me as an African, if I develop something, the only thing that I have in mind is to go to Silicon Valley to raise capital. If I I am the good software developer. My number one goal is to go to, to Silicon Valley to work for other, uh, other other startups in the Silicon Valley, most of them which are even coming from Africa. So I think we need to have something for Africa, not for like uh, a particular country, just for Africa. Let's say if it is about uh, uh, raising capital, you know that you can go to this XYZ in Africa. And this can be done in the public sector, I mean in the private sector, not on the, on the public sector. But most of us, we keep on relying on the on the public, thinking that they are going to move something. But I don't think the Silicon Valley was made by the pub public sector in the U.S. or the Hollywood was made by the, the, the public sector in the U.S. So I think that's that's my my, my point of view on that on that side. And we've established what our issues are, guys: lack of unity, uh, no no leaders in in our movements and not, not working together to accomplish what needs to be accomplished. And this age group that will access is very crucial to, to, to effecting change, is, is busy doing things that are not taking us forward. But we do have people who are making strides and who are, who are making changes and who are calling for change. I, I, I happen to stumble upon Uche Mimaiti's tweets, I think on Thursday, and he he posted I think two videos, two live videos, and you said some powerful things in those videos. I don't know if you want to reflect on 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 the stuff that you said there, and then we'll give Lux a chance to to talk on on the issues. You know, I, I can't remember the the context of 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 the videos. I, I sometimes post a lot of videos, but I can play them. Maybe play the one that was the, that spoke to you the most. <laughs> so that we have context. OK. 
Okay, you're still muted. Uh, yeah, I'm looking. Sorry, I'm looking for the for the for the video, your video. Okay, but maybe before, once you're looking for it, just just to 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 answer one of the questions that I think exists, and I want to go back to history a little bit. Kwame Nkrumah and several other African leaders were very active in the U.S. and the U.K. in these African congresses that they were holding. And in fact, at, at one point he went to the UK. I mean, ostensibly it was to study, but for him, he was just there to organize a Pan-African conference um, in the United Kingdom because there was a large diaspora there. And I think that conference, I don't know which year it was, but uh, late maybe in the 40s or 50s, uh, just before uh, independence was established. I think it was late 40s. It was attended by many uh, uh, African leaders who became future presidents. Uh, one of them was, uh, he, wasn't, he didn't become a president, but um, Joshua Nkomo of Zimbabwe, I think the future Tanzanian president was there um, and several other African presidents. And these conventions basically created the Pan-African framework and gave a roadmap to independence and post-independence. So I'm beginning to think now whether or not we don't need a, a, a convention of sorts of all interested um, Africans. I'm not convention, but but this one is 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 to set up the action because so the young people. But there, you know what I'm thinking. I'm thinking that there are young people everywhere. I'm I'm thinking not not for politicians. Right, but for these young people that you've identified as having an appetite, wanting to do something, because let's say you say we say to them, hundred rands gets you into the convention. Let's say you do it for a thousand people. Now at least you have a hundred thousand. We can start doing something. So I'm I'm going back to to you know, Lukolo. If I think about it in a, in a different way, I think that there's value to some of these um, meetings. It's just that our African leaders, they meet to meet and then to set up another meeting. But they don't ever do anything. You know, but it was, uh, if, 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 if I use the, the Rwanda example, it was Kagame, when he realized he was coming up for 2018 to be the, the president of the uh, chairperson of the African Union, he did a roadmap to make sure that what, in his term, the African continental free trade area would be ratified. If not for his, you know, uh, preemptive work, making sure that, you know, everything was clear for 2018, even that document would not have been signed. You know, so he actually, he had a, a vision for what am I going to do in 2018 when I come in. But some of the other African leaders, when they go to the African Union chairpersonship, they are just there to, you know, sign papers and be ceremonial. So if you look at last year, Cyril Ramaphosa was there to silence the guns. No guns were silenced. This year, um, Chisiketi is there for cultural, you know, celebration. There's nothing that he has done to celebrate culture. It's just a theme for him. There was no legwork done. So, so I think there's two kinds of, of meetings which can happen in Africa, a productive one and a ceremonial one. And, and maybe we shouldn't abandon the idea of a productive convention just because these other guys have had unproductive ones. Even Tabombegi. You know, in 2000, uh, 2002, that build up to NEPAD was useful, but other African leaders have not used these um, meeting spaces for productive work. So, so maybe that's a, a response to the genuine question you have of does this thing actually do anything? Let's quote you. Let's play, let's play this video. Ne? Oh, let's, no, let's I'm so sorry. 
let's be very clear. We cannot wait for the African Union. We cannot wait for the so-called leaders who run African states. Here are five realities about those particular leaders. Number one, they have no urgency to deal with the issues that are facing Africa. Number two, they have no management capacity. They've shown this time and time again. Number three, they have no creativity to solve the challenges that are facing Africa. Number four, they're lazy. They are not willing to do the hard miles, the hard legwork to actually get this continent back on track. And number five, they have a charity ball mindset. They are more willing to go beg, beg in France, in the UK, in Germany, in China, than they are to do the things that are required to create self-sustaining programs in Africa. The median age in Africa is 19, but the African Union, which has been in existence for 57 years, has a strategic document that is only trying to realize its goals and aspirations by the year 2063. They are asking a 19-year-old to wait 42 years until they are 61 in order to see a realization of some of the goals and aspirations they ought to have now. The biggest challenge facing Africa now is poverty and youth unemployment. But they are telling a young person, wait until you are 61 and you'll see some of those things. That's nonsense. Do you know that Logan Green, an American, came from America, traveled to Zimbabwe, saw the taxi system in Zimbabwe, went back to America, made a company called Zimride in 2007. By 2012, that company was now the company known as Lyft, which is now valued at 18.24 billion, built on an African idea. Our African leaders are useless. That's why we need new interventions, new programs. And I think the African Development Group is going to be one of those particular disruptive programs in Africa. Ask me how. <laughs> Any comments on Jamie's strong sentiments yeah. on our leaders and the 2063 plan? I thought that was very powerful, actually. The way you articulated it, it made so much sense and it made me realize that you know, these guys are playing with us because most of them, if not all of them, won't even be here to be accountable mm. by 2063. <laughs> Look, unfortunately, I suffer from the powerlessness of power, so I can't necessarily uh, comment in specific terms of what he's talking about. But he made a very valid point about these visions. You know, <laughs> Tabon Begi the other day mentioned something quite interesting. You know, in South Africa, you guys give him a hard time. He said, somebody, he was talking about someone. He said, all you are doing is to give us visions. That's fine. We don't need a vision, we need a plan. What is the plan? So a plan is, what am I planning to do? What am I going to do? How am I going to do it? When am I going to do it? Now, I, I think our generation, the age group of 25 and 49, this is the specific people I'm talking to, we need to ask the what, how, and when? Not vision 2040-something. 20, no. Uh, I wander around the continent a little bit these days, and also in the Middle East. I've been in the Middle East quite a lot this year. And there's only one word that comes to my mind every time I go to the Middle East. Leadership. Leadership. And leadership. 
when we think leadership here, leadership innovation is the same thing. Leadership and direction is the same thing. This age group, passive people with no spine of 25 and 49, are the ones who are actually messing up. Not the older people, the older people, it's fine. If this age group had a backbone, like it happens in many countries, progressive countries and in continents, they will start demanding the answers so that we can produce the leadership that is responsive to the time. We have it's no use, even in our generation, we do it because Jamie's, you know, stays viva more times than uh, Clement. So Jamie becomes the chairperson. But we have to develop this mentality of only the best among us must lead us. That is the system that has worked in Asia, in Middle East, and I mean, I can't talk about Western Europe because somehow it developed many years ago before, not well before our time. But if you go to Singapore, there are practical examples of what Luke Yuan has done to, you know, to change the fortunes of the country. And uh, you go to China, uh, Deng and uh, Deng Xiaoping and, and, and exactly what he has done to turn China around. Not theory. We can talk here until tomorrow. But if we don't have practical ideas and plans of what we are going to do in our little spaces, we are actually wasting oxygen. Can I ask what Nicole a question? Plans? What are those, what are those sure. ideas? Okay, ask the question, but we need to answer. What are those plans? What are those ideas? What takes us forward here on? Because now I'm tired of talking, guys. We've been talking. And my frustration, I do not want my kids to go through the same struggles I went yeah. through. Carry yeah. on, Jim. So, so my question was going to be, and I've reflected on this a bit, is that I actually think we don't have a management praxis in Africa. And, and this is where the gap is. Um, and I wonder what you think about this because you've had experience um, in corporate and you, got, you went to business school. Like when I, when I was at business school, I was doing a PDBA, which is a postgraduate diploma. What I noticed, because we had to do a case study and we were doing the post office, the South African post office. And we noticed that the South African post office was doing dismally at management. And you know, the project management, the, the project scope, for example, we're looking at just the, the failure to deliver letters on time and some of the projects that they had taken up. And in some instances, the projects were now extremely over budget. The, the actual post office branches were being mismanaged. And it got me thinking that a lot of these um, current people occupying uh, the bureaucratic space don't actually have you know, experience in management and they don't have, you know, expertise in actual management. And I was beginning to think maybe what we need to be doing is spreading a management culture. Because if someone comes and says, ah, oh, here's the project, we'll build you a railway in three years, but people don't actually understand, you know, project management language. They don't understand management finance. They don't understand, uh, uh, you know, operations and all of these other, uh, you know, technical things. They can't even have a conversation about whether or not this is a real proposal or it's a fake proposal. And when I contrast that with other societies, in other societies, uh, even at a high school level, these young people are being given management responsibilities, tasked to run projects in South Africa, for example, in the private schools, they try to equip these kids, not only just with the theoretical framework, but with opportunities to raise a million for the school, to do a project, to do this and this, where they learn not only how to work in teams, but also how to successfully execute projects. But I don't know if that is a correct diagnosis based on what maybe Lukolo has seen, because he has 
been in, in, in corporate years, also been observing these other countries, if there is actually a gap, not so much at, at a vision level, but at a management level? Can I jump in? Yeah, yeah, yes, yes, no, look, I'll come in. Yes. So for me, uh, what really struck me recently uh, upon uh, Shona's Ferguson's death, and I listened to uh, some of the videos he did uh, way before his passing, and stuff that really struck me as a person was that we don't think we are worth enough as, as Black people. And uh, for me, even the debate of uh, management skills, uh, if you think you are worth something and if you think you are capable, the management skills and all these things will come by default. The, the thing is we always second group ourselves uh, in the spaces that we occupy for me is uh, concerning that uh, we occupy spaces where we, we don't think we have uh, the necessary capabilities or to, to make the right decisions, to do the right things. And I think uh, for the black child, in order for us to be able to, uh, to take some of the things uh, forward is for us to really, to really believe in ourselves and trust, uh, and trust what we are doing. I think what I think the confidence, I think okay. I think confidence goes such a long way. I think to go back to what Jamie says, you know, I mean, I <laughs> uh, you're making a very good point on the issue of management, but maybe it's, it's a step further, you know. If you talk management, everyone is going to think best business school, UJ and UCT, and so on and so forth. Uh, but we have to almost take it at a simplistic at a simplistic level and try and mm -hmm. oversimplify it, maybe, so that we can drive a certain point about it. Every society that advances, it somehow selects its certain people to run this project. You said earlier, and I was listening attentively, and you made a very good point. We're hoping, we are always hoping for the best, you know, accidental leadership, which doesn't happen. You've got, as a generation, agree. In this, you know, if we are a group of 10 people, we have to agree as black people, we can't. We don't, as full part, we don't want anyone actually to be leading us. We've got to look at the 10 of us in the room and say, who is the best in this room? That's why it starts. You asked me about the practical thing. The first thing is, if you're a society of 10 people, you've got to ask yourself an objective question. Who is the best amongst us in this 10? Be it political or whatever it is. Even at an NPO level, I, 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 I have an NPO back home. And even in my business, I look at it and say, who's the best? amongst these people to lead these people. Now, it needs an honest question, honest assessment of an objective assessment. It's got nothing to do with everything else, but then once you have that person, it must be a person, then you've got to rally all of you around him with your ideas. This is the person who's gonna lead the, the so-called revolution, whatever you wanna call it. But a generation in the society with no clear, you can have a mandate. But if there is no clear leader, accountable person for this mandate, it's going to fail. So forget this collectivism. Everything needs one person to lead it. It seems like Rwanda has gotten it right with President Kagame. Hmm. Clear example. Imagine if Paul yeah. Kagame 
was a president of a country with oil, with gold, with minerals. I'm not trying, I mean... Are you I'm saying not, we don't have such leadership in our own country? I have a powerlessness of power, so I can't say that, but <laughs> I'm just going is an example of what Jay, he can do with those resources. I see Lux doesn't want to play in that political space, but as a political analyst, do you think we lack leadership in South Africa in these spaces, specifically looking at our politics, governance of things? Can I, sorry guys, yeah. before... Okay, you had your chance, you didn't want to answer the question. I really have to, <laughs> I just need to apologize because I need to leave very soon. I've okay. got a, I've got, I've got a, I've got a chip going out of Cairo tonight. So You've I really five need to minutes. Leave. We'll let you go at five to please. Now stay for another five minutes. Jamie, please uh, go on. So, so just just briefly, I think yeah, there's there's a there's a leadership um, crisis in South Africa, and one of the examples I often use is education in and of itself. I think that the African National Congress had a, a, a long runway to fix the education problem, but they didn't. And when I when I talk about the problem, I contextualize it like this: twenty percent of the students who write maths um, in in their metric exam get over fifty percent less than 5% get over 75%. And of the people who write, it's not even representative of everyone who sat for the exam because about 250,000 students write maths, but 600,000 students sit for the exam. And that for me is indicative of, you know, a lack of focus on education as an important thing, even though everyone knows that the Bantu Education Act was deliberately designed to keep black people as ewers of water. Uh, and that's what the apartheid regime said. They said, we're not going to educate them in such a way that they can improve their lives. So when the African National Congress came in, you would have expected that they say, we know that there was a policy deliberately put in place, a conspiracy to miseducate and underdevelop our intellectual capacity and skills base. So from 1994, we're going to fix that. Other African leaders fixed that issue and not the other issue, which is why you always see the brain drain. Because even people like Mugabe came in and they pushed education. Even in Ghana, they were pushing education. But unfortunately, they were not pushing the rest of the bus. So the thing broke down. But I think education is another example. And every time there's a cabinet reshuffle, for the last 10 years of cabinet reshuffles, the education minister is untouchable even though it's an underperforming ministry. I think to me that demonstrates that not only is there a lack of leadership, going to what Unoluvuyo said, there's a lack of confidence. Uh, because if we really believed our kids were brilliant, we would never accept anything than the best for them. Uh, when I was How growing up, my father always used to tell me, sorry? How do we instill this confidence that you know? Because now I agree, it's very, it's very important in your confidence. How do we instill that confidence? Maybe this could go towards a talk of decolonization, showing black kids that there are black people like you that went out there, that are out there, that are making things happen on a continental level, on a global level, on a on a on a national level. How do we instill? Well, this I can tell you. I can tell you how my father did it. My father never gave me room for excuses. He always used to say, you must be number one. Even when I was number 11, number 10, he never changed the standard. And it wasn't, I, I could have no excuse. No, the other students didn't do well. No, we didn't have a textbook. I, I didn't grow up in an affluent environment, but I was raised to believe that I could also do what anyone else was doing in the system. And I've often wondered why it is we don't have that mindset with all of our uh, young people. It's like in South Africa, we don't often 
treat young people like that. We need to tell them, listen, it doesn't matter what's going on in your life. We expect the best from you. But that doesn't necessarily mean we ignore the systemic challenges. Because even in, in Zimbabwe, where, where, where I grew up and spent a lot of time, the top performing students were from rural schools. They had no business being top performing students, except for the fact that the system had been instilled in them that they could be top performing students. I don't know if that makes any sense. Can I add on, David? Yeah, go ahead, Nolu. I think also reflecting upon uh, my own personal experience in terms of uh, this, uh, this whole confidence thing, one just needs to uh, grow a thick skin as a black child to know that you are, you are worthy, you are, you are capable. For myself, reflecting upon my own experience, I didn't, uh, I didn't grow up with, uh, with, with the privilege of going to, uh, to the best schools and all those things. But uh, it's, it's one of those things that get instilled at home that, uh, you know what, you are good at what you do. You've got the potential to uh, to do this. So one of the things uh, or one of the responsibilities we have as a black community is to keep uh, saying to each other, you've got this, you can do this. It's to be each other's cheerleaders, which we often, we, we often don't do because Often in most black communities, we see each other as uh, each other's competition, and it's a mindset we need uh, we need to uh, to stem away from that no one is your competition. You are your own competition. You are you are good in your own right. So for me, it's just about uh, building that culture of being each other's leaders. Thanks, thanks, Nulu. And I think it's important when we share our own experiences because it, we're not talking from a point of, of, of ignorance or theorizing, but we're talking about something practical, something that we personally have experienced and that we have seen manifest in our own lives. Lux, do you want to have a parting shot before we let you go? But now we only have four minutes left of the broadcast and that will be it. So our closing remarks... We've, we've identified so many issues, right? And we've touched a little bit on what could help to solve these problems. But now, how do we go forward with action? How do we implement these ideas so that we can stop having these talk shops, can stop having these summits that just chow money, take money from the public purse and never really materialize. But as Clement said, it looks like, no, Jamie also alluded to this, it looks like government is in, not in a very strong position to really effect change in our lives. What can we as the people do to take ourselves they will not, forward? They will not change nothing for us, by the way. <laughs> you know, it's just stop dreaming. <laughs> it's not going to happen. Nobody, and also this dependency of thinking only um, a white man from somewhere is going to come and save Africa. It's not happening. You know, nobody is going to come and save you. You are on your own. You must save yourself. I think, again, I mean, I will sound like I'm a broken record, but I really want this to be almost like the only thing I say today, that this generation has to select the best amongst them, the few. Many are called amongst us, but there must be very few which are chosen to lead us. They must only be the best. And this is, that's, to me, Everything else 
If we can solve that alone, everything else will flow after, will follow after. Just solve that. Everywhere we select the best amongst us in the generation. I guarantee you, every idea we've spoken about here will flow and will have a conducive atmosphere for it to prosper. Select the wrong person with the best ideas, you will go nowhere. So in give us three, three, hold on. Give us three or two examples where this 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 idea that you're coming up with actually yeah. worked. Yeah, in South Africa, they selected a young Ivan Koza to lead football in South Africa, and there is this, and he took South African football from having three hundred twenty thousand rands in the bank account to today being a multi-billion dollar billion dollar industry leadership. In in Rwanda, they selected a Paul Kagame to lead them from a civil war, taking a chance on him. He Today, if people talk about leadership in Africa, they talk about him. In South Africa, after the happy days of Mandela, we took a technocrat to lead South Africa. And whether you can have, you can have debates about what it meant, this economic uh, prosperity, not prosperity, the, 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 the stability that was brought in by Thabo Mbeki. Now, at an institutional level, if you go to a telecom uh, business in South Africa, which was failing, almost debunking the myth that there are no black competent leaders. When they went for somebody who was the best amongst them, a Sipo Maseko, he steered the company in the right direction. So there is, this is actually not rocket science. This is a practical thing. So Ngoz Kakulu, guys. Thanks, Lux. We'll thanks. remove you from the so, stream right now. The best amongst us must lead us. Okay, let's hear Clement. Clement, what is your solution to our, our issues here? Well, um, I would start by quoting our president, Paul Kagame, because um, he's one of the, the influencers in, in our community, and I think mostly in Africa. Uh, there's a, a time when um, there, there was, a, I think it was a talk when he was talking, and then uh, some people in Rwanda, they are like, okay, we are proud of our country, we are moving forward, and it's like, I agree, we are moving forward, but you, what are you doing to move forward? So don't just make it general, like put it on yourself. So I would use that quote and be like, we have to look at ourselves. What are we doing personally, not looking at uh, uh, the political level or anywhere else? So in that uh, sector, I would maybe, because um, in a few years ago, we were, we were complaining about uh, colonialism and we had all the resources we still do the mineral resources and everything but we are still comp complaining uh, it to the colonialism and everything and this moment we also have some other resources which is the youngest generation in the world and which is what is needed for for any development mostly in technology but we are still complaining so I think we have to stop complaining and start looking for solutions amongst ourselves. So three solutions that I would suggest that uh, I've been saying before. One, we need to, uh, on the policy level, we need to have a common policy for Africa. Let's say it's about uh, the regulations. We need to have that common policy for Africa, not only for one country or, or, the, or the other. Number two, we need to have a, a common investment uh, how do I say, like a, a stock exchange for Africa, whereby I can go, let's say, for example, I have my phone here, I can invest into uh, stock exchange in the US. 
but if I want to invest into any business in Africa or in any anything in Africa, uh, I don't. There are so many businesses which are uh, doing well, but I don't have any platform where I can use. Uh, the, the the next thing is about uh, the education. The education needs to move forward. But before I uh, I, I can end on this one, I would say that we are also uh, something is happening. I can give an example of some so many other. Uh, uh, things which were not there five years ago. Right now, we have some startups in the technology which are uh, on a billion dollar valuation. There's, uh, let's say, the Flutterwave in Nigeria. There's cheaper cash in Uganda. There's so many others which were not there before. So what I think now what we need to do is to accelerate that trend and also focus on how can we bring the investment back here. Because even those ones which are on the billion dollar valuation, they are right now they move to the silicon valley the, the investment is coming in from this the, the us is benefiting more than africa so i think that's the, the, the my my solution that i would propose jamie yeah so i'm just thinking here as as we've been having a conversation i, I agree we need uh, african stock exchange we need african venture funds which can fund across Africa and uh, focus on African uh, startups that are even grassroots level where young people don't even have, you know, um, collateral. We need an African university, but even, even, even to add to that, we need to take some of these colonial entities to the ICC or to whatever structure so that we can get uh, reparations to fund some of these African programs. But even beyond all of these ideas, we need to come together as Africans and put whatever we have into a collective pot so that we can begin to work, which is why I started that African development group. Hopefully it can be one of the entities that does that because if we keep waiting, because policy takes a long time, university building takes a long time, stock exchange take a long time. What we do have right now in the moment is each other. So we need to be finding ways to connect with each other connect on an interest level. If you want to do education, let's let's link up. Let's see what we can do there. Now, today, even tomorrow, where you say, how much do you have? I've got so many uh, shillings. I've got so many rands. I've got so many shekels. I've got so many. Let's do something, even if it's the smallest thing. Because, you know, uh, I'm a Christian and the Bible says you, you must not despise a day of small beginnings. Even Facebook started in a dorm room some guy doing a ranking of girls, whether they are hot or not. And now it's a, it's, it's a multi-billion dollar US company. So why are we not coming together at our own level and doing something? That for me is the provocation I want to put out there is how can we link up and do something tomorrow, even if it's small? Great. Nolu? I've got a question when Nolu is done that I want to ask you guys. That will be my parting thing. Just to make us relax a bit. We seem a bit too serious now. I think for me, the thing is, uh, is collaboration. And uh, amongst co collaboration, it's about uh, debunking the stereotypes that we find ourselves uh, in as Africans. So, for example, uh, as South Africans, we we tend to think that uh, other African countries don't uh, don't operate in in Africa, and we have a lot of silos and a lot of discrimination uh, among 
solve. And for us to be able to take Africa forward is for us to uh, get to a point where we realize that we are one team, we're striving for, uh, we're striving for one goal without and working as a team. I think that's very powerful. And this is something we had touched on uh, with Clement last week. I was talking to him and his brother over the phone. And one of the things that I also wanted to highlight is that what we need to do to foster forward with unity, because we have so much in common, which proves that we are one people. So these divisions, tribal divisions, uh, borders that were put here by people who wanted to divide us, it's time to let these things go. I mean, I've reached a point in my life where I'm even questioning the whole thing of being patriotic to the flag, being patriotic to certain borders, being patriotic to a certain tribe. Because if you really find out about our histories, I speak as it was, but I always say this, there is no Jamin because I am Jamin is Dugosam, which is my clan name, if you want to call it that. But there is no Jamin who is Kosa. Jamin is either Nzulu or a Swati person. So all these tribal things are, are not important. Clement, and I'm saying this to you because you know in your country you have a bad history with this. And here we nearly had something similar to that with what happened a couple of weeks back with what was happening in KwaZulu-Natal. We need to move past these things that divide us and realize that we are one people. We're talking about languages, Clement and I. Inyama is Inyama in any or in most African languages. Right, Amazi. and there's so many things. Amanzi, Amanzi, <laughs> you know, mm. and people will be surprised. Hey, bo, how can you call it Amanzi? But you're Rwandan, you're not from here. We are <laughs> the same people. Okay, guys, here's, here's something else I wanted to show you. Uh, do you guys understand what's happening here? What are, what are you looking at? Oh, okay, yeah, okay, it's Clement, cryptos, I know, yeah. <laughs> yeah, are you guys dabbling in that? <laughs> You know what? I need someone to guide me through this stuff. But I do think that we, we can use this technology to, um, you know, do some things in Africa because our currencies are not stable and that's how they chow us. Yeah. Ne? Clement, I know you, 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 this is, this is your, this is your thing, man. Just tell us a bit about what's happening now. So, uh, this, this kind of coins for me, like, uh, if I can get a little bit technical, I don't think they are going to become any time soon uh, any currencies, any country's currency, because the country's currencies they need to be developed apart from this ones. Because these ones they are out of control, you know. From my perspective, let's say if I can uh, talk about, let's say for the bitcoins, it's a pump and dump game, you know. Uh, Elon Musk comes uh, tomorrow, he tweets that Tesla is going to start using it, people start buying. We don't know how much he has on the Bitcoin. Mm. Pro if he has more than 50%, he can manipulate it. We never know. He might be the one, you know? So tomorrow it twists that they are no longer going to use it. It falls. It but the technology is behind them. Smart contracts. I know you dabbled in smart contracts, right? Yes, yes, Things yes, like yes. Ethereum, ADA, Cardano. Yeah. How, how does that bode uh, for, for our continent? Exactly. So for this side of smart contracts, so the, the, the blockchain, not the, the bitcoins or the, uh, the these cryptocurrencies, 
for the, for that side, I would think that it's going to be a very good uh, technology to use in Africa. It's going to be a very good solution because uh, most of the issues that we are facing in Africa, it's about corruption. With this kind of the smart contracts, the corruption is not going to, to be there anymore. Um, it's unhackable. There's so many good uh, features which can, uh, as Africans, that we can use more than any other continent. Because right now, the, the number one issue that we are having is about corruption. With this kind of technology, it's not going to be there. Yeah, but they won't. They won't do it. Those guys, um, the 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 guys who are in power, they won't. They they, they will never do something that will cut their own bread. That's why they never challenge each other as dictators. But I wanted to ask a question about um, this coin uh, stuff at a, at a different level, because I've often wondered whether or not Africa should have a stable coin, not necessarily, you know, an untethered one like Bitcoin and all of these. I've seen, um, you know. In, in in Facebook tried to launch a stable coin, they they bumped into regulatory uh, objection because Facebook is already too big. But I've wondered. And hello, when I'm there, hello. <laughs> I'm seeing I'm seeing there there's some young future leaders there. Hey, but I wonder if if Africa launched a, a, a stable coin, and African countries put some minerals to back it, would that not deal with some of our currency? Um, issues because often we can't even do bold and ambitious things in Africa because they will immediately devalue our currencies because our currencies are, dev are devalued on the basis of European and American sentiment. So for instance, um, if South Africa wanted to give people money last year, they were not going to be able to do so like what Canada, UK and America did because immediately the markets would have said, oh, no, these guys are going to hyperinflation, et cetera, et cetera, even though they were doing it themselves. So what South Africa had to end up doing was to go to the IMF and say, okay, borrow us money so that we can try something in our home country. When they, 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 they control the Reserve Bank, you know, or even though it's not controlled by the government, it, it is, there's enough governmental control for them to have done that. But they didn't do it because of the concern that if we issue a large amount of money to our citizens during lockdown, immediately our currency will be devalued. And there's been some inflation in America, but it's been very minuscule considering how much money America dished out to its citizens. So it made me wonder whether or not a stable coin would be the answer for Africa. Do the you want that to be our next conversation? And maybe we can take it further, doing away with systems that are not helping us go forward. Because as you're alluding now, look, this is a, a central bank system that we probably took from the West. And when they, when they do these measures, when they pump the stimulus, nothing much happens in terms of inflation on their part. But as you say, if we had done it, we, we would have seen flames. So maybe yeah, any African country would yeah. have collapsed. Maybe this is a conversation we should have going forward. But I know Clement might want to say something to that effect because this is his space he's dabbled with these things before yeah so uh, for me technically this is the solution so i mean what you said jimmy is, is the is the this is the number one solution to africa but on the other side it's i don't think it's something which is easy to pull but eventually it will happen because that's where we're going uh i would rather if us as Africans, we can take a step ahead to uh, to join this kind of uh, technology, 
it will be better because even in China they are moving to to the to digital that kind of stable one. coin mm -hmm. to the digital coin. Uh, I've heard even in the US they are experimenting on something like that. So I think it's the best thing for Africans to jump on it as soon as possible because that's where we're going. Like in five years ago, I mean, in five years ahead, I don't think we'll be still using the same coin or 10 years from now. I mean, the same currency that you're using right now. So it's it, it will be good for us to to look in the future to see what, what what's going to happen. Are we going to sit and be imposed on what we are going to use again or we can do it ourselves? Because this is a technology that we can do. It's not something that we need to, to wait for any geniuses. We have all those geniuses here who can do it. It's not something which is like rocket science. We can do it. But, but Maybe we need to write a paper and put push, because <laughs> sometimes if, if there's a public push and people are saying all across the continent, why haven't you adopted the stable coin? You know, sometimes yeah. corporates are forced by uh, public pressure. I've seen it happen um, with, with the Me Too movement because remember what they were doing is that uh, CEOs were hiding behind NDAs. So they'd say, hey, when did you arrest? They say, no, no, they all signed NDAs. No one is going to talk to you. And then what, what happened is that in the media and in the public, they started saying no woman should be held uh, accountable to an NDA if it involved an issue of harassment. So if she signed an NDA and it involves harassment, we don't care. She must tell us and you guys must not persecute her. And then what happened is that those, those clauses were removed from corporate America. And even I think in many countries now, you cannot insist on an NDA on the basis of harassment, etc. So I'm wondering if even though we, we don't have the power to, to roll out a stable coin continentally, if there's a paper out there and everyone is saying, we want the paper to be implemented, it becomes hard now for African leaders to keep saying, no, we don't care about that paper. We, that paper is irrelevant. Or Because after a while, the continent can say, no, we want a stable coin and we want it now. And you guys must get around to it. So I don't know. I'm trying to think creatively around how can a continental public of, of young people pressure old men to adopt new technology. No, look, Clement, maybe these are things you guys should be deliberating on because this is your space. But I, I want you guys to look at what Acon is doing in terms of cryptocurrencies on the continent. There's also a, a mathematician from the States, a guy who used to, he's one of the developers of Ethereum. I think you know about him, Clement, Charles Hoskinson. Look at what yep. Cardano and Ada are doing in Ethiopia. Right. So those 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 things will, will, will get us to think about how we can play in that space and be leaders in that space, because we don't want to get people from outside playing in our space. At least Acon is from here. But now there are people from America that are already seeing the opportunity in Africa with smart contracts, not the stable coin per se, but smart contracts. Mm -hmm. yeah. We definitely Guys, need I to be selfish. Yeah. Nolu, your closing point on 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 stable coins and digital currencies bitcoin ethereum it's pumping that's the word on the street this weekend hey <laughs> i think there for me in terms of my closing remarks there is power in uh in unity and for as much as we are divided as uh african countries african continents we're not going to get the strength that we are the, that we want if we want to take uh, over the world over the us over all these countries that are, uh, are doing well we need uh we need to be united and uh 
the biggest uh, challenge that we need to uh, get through as Africans is trusting each other and uh, creating opportunities that are able to collaborate with each other. So for me, uh, I'm all for, uh, I don't, I don't even understand why we have uh, different currencies within the African continent. And for me, uh, I'm all for having a single uh, currency when it comes to uh, African continents. Because also if you look, uh, if for example, I look at uh, some of the, the people uh, or foreigners, if I may put it that way, which is uh, also not uh, a pleasant term to use. If I look at some of the, the people we use, that uh, are now starting to use, uh, uh, what is this, is it called? Is it Mkuru that these systems to send money back home in the and red tape? Those things. And the red, <laughs> and the red those things. Yes, and the red tape that there is just, to, uh, just for us to transact and for us to be able to uh, to share currencies, I think it's unnecessary. We we're being colonized in a in a way that we we Digital don't necessarily yes, we don't necessarily think that we are being uh, colonized financially. And those are some of the things that we need to uh, debunk, even from a financial perspective. That we are not colonized financially. I'll I'll close with a quote from this book. Franz Fanon, the wretched of the earth, on what you're saying right now. Europe has laid her hands on our continents and we must slash at her fingers till she lets go. Let's take control of what we have. Let's take control of our resources. Let's take control of our identity. Let's take control of our spaces and take our continent. I wish we could take it as a country. Yes, Africa, just say, take our country forward. Hmm. Guys, we'll get there. Thank you for your time. And I'm hoping this is the beginning of, of, of less talk and more action. I'll exchange your guys' numbers if you want that so that you can keep in touch. Who knows what could happen in the future from such discussions, right? Thanks a lot, guys.